I usually don't cut too much. How long are these podcasts? As long as you feel like you've got something to say. <laughs> Sorry, about 30 seconds. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wombat Radio. Today we're in Launceston. Let's, um, you can introduce yourself, mate. <laughs> uh, my name's Martin Coates, and uh, I'm a performing artist, or an artist that makes theatre or performance, and yeah, I do lots of different things, dramaturg, video artist, maker, um, yeah, lots of things. It's, it's actually very hard to describe what I do, actually. It's, I usually just say, I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. And that's ambiguous enough. Yes, exactly. exactly. And then people say, oh, so like watercolour or oil painting? If you say dancer, they might ask you if you're a pole dancer. <laughs> usually I have to say, I direct theatre, which is not precisely true, but people do understand what that means. Mm-hmm. So if you had to make one of those... What I do, what other people think I do, what my mum thinks I do. What would, what do you think you do? Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I facilitate performance works in whatever, um, in whatever way the work needs it to happen. So, you know, I use technology a lot. Um, sometimes I'm the director of the work. Sometimes I'm a key collaborator. Sometimes I'm a dramaturg or a video artist. Mm. Um, but actually I was talking about this last night my dad doesn't really understand what I do and so it's very interesting going oh yeah I am started to teach at the VCA and they're like oh the VCA teaching that's great that's really great what do you, where do you think this is going to lead I'm like, I'm like hey for about 20 years I've been an artist um, it's not leading anywhere <laughs> you know anyway yeah I found that my dad doesn't need to understand as long as I'm working. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the yeah. as long as you're okay. As lo- yeah, as long as you're working on something, then you're contributing to society. Yeah, that's mm. good. That's good. That's a good way to good way to be. I think. Well, yeah. It's also like the the uh, Aussie battler ethos. <laughs> you don't even need to be succeeding. As no. Long- <laughs> as long as you're doing something. Yeah. Not just sitting on the couch. Um, what are you thinking about? Like in the broadest or in the most macro or the most micro, what do you, I, I, cause, so I frame it that way because I think a lot of us work on something as a way to think through something. Hmm. That's an interesting question because I, I feel like for a very long time I've had a part of me that thinks a lot about politics, about geopolitics, about really big, vast sort of movements and patterns in, in, that, in the sort of foreign affairs of, of the world. But then I, when I start to make a work or work collaboratively, the work is not about that at all. So there's this real schism in the two, in the two ways that I go about things. And usually the things that I end up working on are usually much more about the physicality of something or the, the motion of something or the... It's it's much more tied up in the in the feeling of it or the or the movement of it, mm-hmm. um, and it's only just recently that I've started to dovetail these two things into um, into something that I, I actually have worked on. So I mean, I just made a piece that's a tarot reading for one person at a time, and each of the tarot cards is one of the islands in the South China Sea, 
um, which sounds like a completely ridiculous and pointless work. And, and, and to, to, to a certain extent, yeah, to a certain extent, it is ridiculous and pointless. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it allows me to um, exercise that thing that I'm really interested in, which is, the, you know, the sort of geopolitics of the Asia Pacific and, and how that's functioning and how the rise of China has shifted a lot of things. And so for me, that's kind of, that's where I'm at at the moment. It's about thinking about both about the geopolitics but then also about how to bring that into people's world in a way that's interesting and engaging and in some ways educational as well Mm. does that answer your question (laughs) it's not really about answering the question but i do like the idea that you're interested but this is the way that you are interested like uh, you're I don't know. And the reason that it's art is because it's useless. <laughs> yes, exactly. But if it wasn't like if you were making a, if you were surveying the area that you're talking about, then you'd be a cartographer or something. You'd be getting paid for it and it would have some use. But Absolutely. And there are times I've got a friend who works in DFAT and, you know, has been posted in various embassies and, and, and sometimes she says to me, you should just go into foreign affairs. Like, why are you bothering being an artist? And it's true in some ways. It's like, well, yeah, like sometimes you follow this line of inquiry for so long that you end up being almost an expert in it, even though you have no qualifications or any of that sort of thing. And it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's really intriguing to me. Um, so the balance of that inside of, inside of work is, is, is of interest to me. It's like, how can you not be, not be didactic, but still be interesting in what you're doing? And mm. yeah. Does that mean that you've been an artist for long enough that you're an expert at being an artist? Um, I, I would say, and this is tied to my introduction to myself. I would say, <laughs> I would say that I, um, I, just dilly dally in a way like I'm not dilly dally but I, I, I taste different things and try different things out and so you know there are times when I am on residency in Asia and I will explain what I do and someone doesn't really get it or they kind of think well you know you've done all these things but but for, the, for them, I think there is this sense that you, you, you work at your craft and you work at your craft and your craft is very kind of singular and you focus on it and you can move forward with that craft. And so I'm not an expert at any of the things I do. I'm not a, I'm not a genius at any of the things I do. And there are people around me that I go, you know, wow, that, that person's an incredible sound artist or composer and that's what they're focused on and that's what they've spent their whole time doing. But I think... You know, that whole idea about 10,000 hours and you become a genius and all that stuff. Like, I've kind of done... I've kind of gone that way, sideways, mm-hmm. rather than rather than up. So, I'm kind of a little bit good at a lot of things, but not good at anything in particular. What's the power in that? Um, well, I think the power in that is something that's uniquely Australian, which is that we're incredibly adaptable. You know, we don't have to adhere to these traditional... Um, the traditional baggage of things and and i think that's that comes from being in the new world like we 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 pick and choose the things that work for us and then we cobble this together into something that you know that that that's hybrid and interesting and 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 great but the 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 fallback of that is that it's not 
incredibly deep, which I think sometimes when you're watching, you know, a German play that's really steeped in history or, you know, a piece of ballet that is, you know, that has real tradition to it that's in, from Russia or, you know, a piece of Chinese opera or something like that, there's this kind of really deep thing that is that is anchoring it and you can mm. feel the history of it and the, and the depth of it. Whereas I think sometimes, and this is not everything, but I think in Australia we... We're real bowerbirds and we pick and choose and, and we amalgamate these things. Like this whole idea of hybrid work is really known to us, you know. It's really normal to us. We've been doing it for so long now. Um, and maybe that's because, you know, the schools that we have in the bigger cities um, teach that teach that hybridity and that collaboration kind of aspect of things. Do, do you agree do. with that? Or? Well, I feel like they teach survival. Yes, <laughs> which is necessary. Yeah, and so, uh, like, along with our, um, I don't know, Aussie battler national sentiment or whatever, is the idea that you just do it yourself, whatever it is, mm. and, and that it is shameful to not be resourceful or to need a team mm. or to specialise, which is... A fraud because specialists get paid the most and have the most prestigious positions but also if all of the generalists underneath them fall out they die in an apocalypse the specialists die yeah it's true possibly we're too specialist in an apocalypse but maybe we learn i don't know maybe we survive long enough to retrain ourselves perhaps the power of being such a generalist is that what you're practicing all the time is how to let go of your identity enough to retrain yourself in something else yeah and there's great there's great i think there's great benefit in 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 feeling like you can address an artistic problem with any media like you can go you can go i mean it sounds like from what i know of you from what little i know of you that you also are quite broad in 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 your skill set as well and so you can bring you can bring photography or or you know technology or music or yeah. dance or physicality or anything to a particular problem and i think there is a real benefit of that but just to go back to what you're saying about generalists versus specialists i think when i came out of the vca um i did a course there post-grad course um called animateuring which was um about performance making but building the performance from the ground up so no script just devising on the floor using whatever you can and, and making this work the devised work really and we were the ones that were that were going out and getting jobs in the in the industry and the actors were struggling like they were waiting by the phone waiting for the agent to call them and tell them what to do so that that is a very interesting sort of you know generalist sort of specialist sort of situation where um yeah, I think we did better off in definitely in those early years. Mm. Mm. But maybe it's something also about producing. Like you are That's producing true. work, you know, That's for somebody else to choose yeah, yeah. to help them produce their work. And I have no battle with it because I've just accepted that the world doesn't need me to produce anymore, but I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> So there's something about that if we're considering large if we're considering large systems social and community and geopolitical like maybe we don't need to produce anymore maybe we don't need our voices anymore heard but still going to do it 
<laughs> Something about that. How do you how do you choose your tool? If you've got all these mediums at your disposal, or disciplines, or sensitivities, or uh, I think a lot of the time it's about plugging a gap that needs to be plugged. So I think when I'm a dramaturg, I I can be a different sort of dramaturg in each process depending on what's needed. Sometimes I'll just come in, you know, once, twice, three times through a process and just you know have a good sit down with the director and talk about what's happened and that's all they need mm. can be more of an outside eye someone who can see the process from the outside but doesn't you know necessarily be need to be in the room i've been in other processes where i've been more of a mentor like i've been quite hands-on like building tasks with the, with the director and all the choreographer mm-hmm. um sometimes i'm more of a collaborator like it's it really sort of depends and i think um a lot of the times i am just employed as a video artist as a collaborator as a director or whatever whatever the thing needs me to do but I think I am generally quite good at plugging a hole plugging a gap somewhere in the in the in the project so Mm. that's yeah I guess is that a skill I guess that's a skill somewhere some kind of skill yeah resourcefulness is some kind of skill Mm. like knowing what you're looking for and then coming across something else Mm. and knowing if that can help you to get to what you're looking for rather than just knowing, oh, that's not the thing I'm looking for and disregarding it. Yeah, and it's very um, arc- arcane in a way. It's, it's sort of, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, about, it's about energetic pathways or about um, just a feeling that something isn't quite right or it really needs to kick up a notch over here or it needs to just drop out over here. Like that, just those things are, you can only really, they just come from experience, I think, about being or seeing a lot of work. And yeah, so, yeah. How do you be sensitive enough? Just cry a lot. <laughs> just cry, yeah. No. <laughs> Um, because like one version of being sensitive is just to get really like jarred by shit yeah if I've ever been in situations where I'm giving feedback if if it's called um, dramaturg or not but you're watching something and like the only reason I know that something needs to change is because it offended me somehow (laughs) offended my senses in some way like or my sensibility or so you're are you asking how do I be sensitive to, to someone else when I'm yeah, explaining I guess what's part happened? Of, part of the training and even in knowing which gap to plug is to being able to be aware. Mm. And then when you find that and you're supporting, because I am going to ask you about devising and building, but when you're in a like an add-on role, mm. how do you attune yourself to know what matters? That's such a difficult question. I because I don't. It's it's sort of ethereal. Like I can't. It's very hard to explain. Yeah, it's very it's very hard to, for, even for me to try and know how that works. And sometimes I'm sure. Sometimes I get it wrong. You know, <laughs> it's not like I mean. I I remember um, Luke George saying, "Oh, 
you know, the dramaturg, i.e. God. <laughs> it's like, because they just come in and go, no, nah, it needs to be like this. And you just go, oh, yes, it definitely needs to be like that. And that's not necessarily true. I think the director or the choreographer should have enough, um, you know, kind of confidence to be able to go, actually, no, we're going to do it this way. And it's just, yeah. that's, how, cause that's, how we, that's how we feel. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know is, is, is the answer. I, I really like to, I really like to watch intently. I really like to, to listen to what's happening, to listen to what the choreographer wants. But it's essentially it comes down to just my understanding of energetically what's happening in the room and, and knowing that it needs to, the shape of it needs to be, you know, tightened at the ends or it needs to ramp up here and drop down there I just yeah it's sometimes it can be just about oh their arm needs to be more like this in order for us to to understand what that thing is and it might be very specific but yeah a lot of the time it's just an instinctual sort of knowing and I think that I think I think a lot of that is experience as well like I would say I'm definitely a better and faster dramaturg now than what I was when I started Mm. yeah How do you deal with choreography? <laughs> well, I actually have I've actually done more dramaturgy in dance than I have in any other form, and I'm not a dancer. Um, I think in my early career I was quite physical in the work that I was doing as a performer, but uh, I've never been a dancer. So, but it's always been an interest of mine. Like motion of bodies is something that's core of everything that I think about when I think about performance. Mm. So. Um, and I, and I, I actually really like it because I think to be a dramaturg for a, te- for a heavy text-based piece, you've actually got to do a lot of reading and have a lot of experience in that because, like, a single word can change the whole meaning of something. I mean, and it's the same with bodies, I think, as well. Like, a single action can change the whole meaning of a piece. So, um, but I've just had a really good sense for, for, for that because it's an, an interest of mine. I think I work better when I'm interested in what's happening. I know it's a really <laughs> stupid thing to say, but it, but yeah, if I'm doing something where I'm not that engaged, which is why I'm still an artist and not, you know, doing something else, which makes a lot more money. Yeah, well, you just have to generate your own interest. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I ask about choreographer because it's almost like if you're in a dramaturg role and you know that something needs to shift energetically, it's then up to the choreographer to work out how to do that, not the dramaturg who's now put in the need for the thing to happen. It's like you've been sensitive enough to notice the problem, mm. but you have to be in teamwork with the choreographer if you are not a choreographer because they are hopefully inside the movement enough to know what little shift, what, what different eye direction or whatever. And I, I will definitely offer some of that. Like if I, f- I can feel like it just needs this thing or, or that one person in particular needs to shift what they're doing, then I, I, would, I can definitely offer that. But sometimes it is like we're going to need a whole new task and a whole new section here to okay. be built because it's not working and it needs something to be able to kick this up, you know, into another sort of plane. And that's, that's where it gets harder because it's like, sorry, mate. You're going to have to do a bit more work. Um, it's so... I'm really interested in then 
once you have an idea of the, the desired outcome, how do you construct a devising task to reach a pre, like a pre, it was like eight ball corner pocket. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then you need to be down with the physics. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it is a lot easier if the thing that you're trying to reach is a climax. That's because it's, it's like, you know, we need you to go from zero to 100 yeah, right. um, it's on, a, on a trajectory across the floor like this, you know, where you're primarily on the ground or there's this resistance against you that's, that means that you're pushing against it and you've got two minutes to get to that point. Like there's, there's usually some sort of way that you can engineer that. Mm. If it's more like... Um, if it's more like, you know, we need to feel like you're disintegrating or falling apart. I mean, again, that can come from high and go down to low. But I guess, yeah, if it's, it's a little bit more complex than that, then it's going to have to be a conversation with the choreographer to work out how the hell to get that out, you know. Yeah. And I think the, the context that we're working in right now with Stompin', it's, um, you know, that's even harder when they're not professional bodies that you're working with as well. Like things, things take time and they need to find it. Yeah. Um, I mean, professional dancers need to find it as well, but they can also fake it until they make it. In a way. <laughs> it's harder for these guys without technique to be able to do that. Yeah. They need to they need to find it themselves to be able to get there, and that that takes time. And when you've only got a set amount of time, it makes it harder, I think. Yeah. So to have the conversation, you need to have a shared language, mm. and if you don't yet have a shared language, you need to train in the shared language before you can. But then again, maybe you're just convincing each other that the, the usual tropes are excellent shortcuts to the thing that you're trying to achieve. Mm. Do you find that... Um, how do you deal... I imagine you're looking at a whole show, a whole experience from a viewer. But uh, one of the reasons I'm in dance and choreography is because of being... I guess... The, the, the least glorified way of saying it is because of having pet hate about certain movement. Mm. Like, um, very, very particularly, I will not allow a bum roll to be in my work. <laughs> <laughs> or like the, the bent back wrists that are incorporated in some, um, like the mannerisms of how to say be a fairy or whatever, if you're being a children's entertainer and you have the wings and the face paint. <laughs> You bend your wrists up and back because that's part of some... For some reason, that's part... Of, and so there's, like, very definite pet hates that I'm not going to allow in my work. So how do you navigate... Are there a lot of fairies in your work? Not yet. I mean, yes, not with those aesthetics. <laughs> <laughs> because I think there is the thing and then I think there is the performance or presentation or known form of what that thing can sometimes take. And the those few times that it has taken that form has been broadcast and become the default, the standard, the norm. Yeah. But no, I do definitely believe that there are, um, that the thing which is con completely contradictory to why I care so much about dance, because I do think that the form is the thing, <laughs> but I want to know how you deal with that. How you like, do you, how do you deal with this contradiction that the thing needs to happen to the viewer or over the performance, but also there are pet hates or pushbacks within the choreographer or the dancer or yourself or 
within the context of where you're presenting the work that says these particular movements are not allowed. I guess it's a negotiation. Yeah. I think I get what you're saying. I, I mean, I don't... I think that part of being a dramaturg, I think, for, for me anyway, and it's different for every person, is um, I'm not going to make the piece. Like, this piece is the work of the director or the choreographer. Mm-hmm. So um, there may be some physical things that are ticks or tropes of what they do and I am not going to correct that because that's not my job my job is to make sense of the whole yeah so um yes absolutely if I feel like the bum roll in the work is not working for xyz then I would go it's not working for this thing and then it's also throwing out all these other things so but if if it if it's in there and it's not actually affecting anything else, mm-hmm. then I'll just go, just leave it. You know, that's 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 part of what they do. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's very... I love working with choreographers over and over again because you get to know those things and you get to just go, that's a Lethal Zinc thing, that's a Luke George thing, you know, that sort of thing. And you just go, that's, 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 that's it, that's right. fine. As long as it's not interfering with the overall work. Yeah then yeah and that's a, that's a super difficult thing I think is, I'm so talking a lot about dramaturgy you. here but yeah. um, that's a super difficult thing about dramaturgy is you get excited because it, it feels like you're making the work and in, in some processes you are helping to make the work you're actually making decisions but I believe that you need to take a step back and just go this is what I see I'm not going to tell you what to do but this is what I see as, as a whole this is working, that's working, that's not working, that's not working. Um, let's try and fix these things. Okay, now I can see the whole thing. And not go, you know what well, you know what I think? I think you should do this and I think you should do that. Because that is you're 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 making the work then. Yeah. And I think for a for a choreographer that's deep inside the work, it's like deep inside the movement and they 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 can't see the whole, you're actually taking advantage of, of of the maker in, in, in a very vulnerable place. They've asked you to come in and do a, do a job. But if you end up making your work, then I, f- I feel like that's not what you're there to do. Yeah. And I think that's the most fraught position of the recent influx in creative producers. <laughs> because the choreographer is in a vulnerable... Mm. Uh, they're in a specialist state. They're mm. in a state of specialization. Mm. And if there is a, if that is not uh, taken into consideration through discussion, then it, yeah, it can be hijacked. Then the work gets, the producer's work gets made. Mm. Bummer. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about some of your other <laughs> mediums of working? Uh, yeah, I mean, I do make my own work. Um, Primarily, it's performance and uh, technology. So I've made work where, you know, perf- like people come and play performers like a video game in a live space. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a project called Wayfarer, which was at the at performance space in 2008 or something. Um, you know, I've, t- I've been touring a work that's a micro puppetry work um that's sort of a crowdsourced crowd a crowdsourced narrative kind of work called i think i can 
Um, it's toured to like 20 places across Australia and across the world. So that's the sort of focus. That's my main focus in terms of in terms of the work that I make. I'm also part of a um, art collective called Field Theory, which um, supports other people to make work and also makes their own sort of big durational digest die discursive work. I was going to say diegetic. Diegetic, that's, that's wrong. Diegetic work. Yeah. So, that, you know, they're the sort of, and that, that's just, the, you know, that group kind of works in a live art, participatory sort of work kind of area mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then there's, you know, there's being a video artist, which I've done for quite a long time, but that, that's, I haven't done so much of that um, in the past little while. Um, yeah, so lots of lots of different things, and I'm also on the artistic directorate of the Unconformity, which is a festival in Queenstown here in Tasmania, cool. um, and sort of do programming things. It's a biennial festival, so like yeah, programming work into the that that town, which is a, like a, a a mining town on the west coast of Tasmania, quite remote, pretty amazing festival. So like yeah, lots of different things, really broad mm. kind of focus for me. What, what are you chasing when you make work? Like, where does the compulsion come from? What compels you into art-validated poverty? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny because you know the work that you, the work that you make um, doesn't really ever make any money because you're you, you know if if there's any money to come out of the budget, it usually comes out of your own fee. It's just the way it is, which is a terrible, terrible thing. But yeah you end up driving and generating the energy to put this thing up and then actually just being a video artist on someone else's project for four to five weeks is earning you much, much more money. So, yeah, there was a long period, maybe 10 years, where I just got employed as a video artist, like, non-stop by all of these companies and people. And then I just was like... And it was very hard to say no because, like, you need to pay the rent. It's just... um, I live in Melbourne, which you know it's not as expensive as Sydney but it's still expensive to to live and so yeah there's that there's that constant need to to do that so there's always this balance of like how much are you doing your own work and how much are you um you know doing other people's work for the money so I guess you know in order to even get a work up it's it's very hard you have to be really driven and but I think for me, it comes back to the thing that I'm always interested in, which is, you know, the body, the mediatization of the body, the body in motion, the body live, the, um, techno- the technology and the body together. Like, if you look at as a through line of the work that I've made as a, as a maker, that, that's the sort of focus going right through. That's what I'll get from your memoirs. That's when, yeah, when you, when you write my memoirs <laughs> as a ghostwriter. Um, yeah, right, my name's not even on it. No, 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 absolutely not. Yeah. As that, that must have changed over the amount of time that you've been doing it, though. The mediatization of the body would have gone from, um, like, ABC kids show interstitials through to social media, through to virtual reality. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty interesting because I, I feel like a lot of the ideas I have are actually quite nineties ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, like this. This. Yeah. You know, the whole. I mean, I remember touring a show right when I was twenty-one around Tasmania, like a schools touring show, 
and the video artist um, you know put his animations onto VHS cassette tapes and then he toured around with a, you know a bunch of VHS machines and he was basically just switching between one and the other of the, of the machines they had to be rewound to the particular point in the thing and then played and then like to think that that was the first thing I did and now it's like you know with Max MSP or any of those sort of really um, you know nimble and and Mm. you know great kind of programs you can you can basically almost do anything with any media and yeah yeah like you, you know, don't have to render shit first. No, 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 no. You can pull in something that's happening on the internet, or a Skype call, or a, anything. Any object can just be pulled in and then and then and then pushed out as well. And so that is a huge, massive, massive change in in yeah in that. I think so. Yeah, thinking about it, the the theory behind the body in a technologized world, I think, is has shifted massively over that time. Mm. Yeah. When do you think? the technologized world started though because I know that we our default social way to say technology is talking about um, computer chips but well I mean I you know like I started teaching the VCA last year and I was teaching a unit for the second year it's called video and performance and I know and that sounds 90s (laughs) totally totally Um, and and um you know, like one of the first things I show them is, you know, a, a very early um, piece of film by Loie Fuller. I don't know if you know her. She's like a really incredible um, dancer and maker. And she makes these really... And it's from like 1901 or something ridiculous. Like the film is really old, no sound. It's all shot on actual film. And she, and, but then hand-coloured as well. And she does these beautiful kind of dances with this sort of dress that she's made and it sort of ripples and... I have seen it. Yeah, yeah, it's be- like really beautiful. But I sort of, I sort of go, wow, that, that's like, you know, that's really... Because thin- it's coloured, like she's actually coloured it. Everything would have been black and white then. So she's actually thought about the medium that she's showing it in. She's looking at the body... It's 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 a piece of recorded material. She's she, you know it's been she's she's actually choreographed the dance for a camera. Like you know, if you talk about technology and and performance, I think you could go all the way back to there. And yeah, so and you know like you could say well Shakespeare's in Shakespeare's time he was you know he had a stage with a you know with an upstage downstage and you know like there was technology happening then mm, as well so. lime, limelight to point on him yeah yeah um, one of my favourite ways to think about the technologically augmented body because we're moving into this augmented reality interested field is um, that anybody who's vaccinated is already mm. their, their physical technology their biotechnology mm has been enhanced totally which is awesome i'm totally down with not having polio (laughs) (laughs) well you could say contact lenses or um you know riding a bike or you know like there's there's a lot of like driving a car there's a lot of ways in which we interface with other objects in order to make our you know our experience better or Mm. hmm but that's that's how that's what you're dealing with 
through media and visuals but not necessarily what you're doing are you dealing with that through live performance when you're doing like your puppet show and things like that or yeah well if you if you imagine say with the with i think i can like the that there's a train there's a model train set like an actual one to 87 scale model train set and so the people are tiny like they're really one to 87 scale and so we use a camera to mm-hmm. to blow that up so they're really big and then they kind of move around on the camera and they because the model making is so incredible they actually look like they're walking in an environment so it's really it's really weird but people love it especially the kids because they're like they get to they get to take a test um, like a test that's based on the Myers-Briggs test and then they're given a character that has a has a profession and then they take that profession to the puppeteer and and it's this tiny puppet and then and then suddenly they're on TV <laughs> and it's like they love it they're like oh my god it's on TV it's incredible and it's like yeah if you only knew how simple it was like it's literally a camera plugged into a TV you know <laughs> it's really funny again just some 90s technology um, I want to ask you about the need for things to be processed through us as artists considering that when you were talking about plugging everything into Max or whatever so that then you can produce something but those things are already happening the, like mm. all the bodies are already mediatized and socialized and uh, technologized and it's becoming our norm and default so I want to know why it needs to pass through you or even how how like this well this is exactly when you build a max patch it's like a series of processes mm. that then spit out a product mm. why does that even need to happen like as artists why do we need to operate in that space if we're just if it's all happening already like people are already engaging in all the things that we're talking about so, so why use technology? I guess that, I think about that in the way of, say, um, going to a particular place to have a cultural or natural experience and then coming back and then processing it through, like, doing theatre tasks and then um, imagining things and then having dreams and then putting something <laughs> on stage. Like, could people just go and have their own... Oh, could okay, just I go see what there? you mean. Yeah. Like, why, why, why does art need to... Take do place yeah. of that process yes yeah. why the process or what's the power of the process or are we just doing it because that's how we tinker and deal and understand and think and then it's kind of nice to have to present that to somebody because that's how you get paid <laughs> yeah that's interesting but I think that I think that the uh, I remember seeing a talk by William Yang and he he said um he said, "Only make, only make the work that you can make. Only make the work that you can make." So it's like you've had specific experiences that I haven't had. You know, you've got a whole life and a whole interests, and you know, your where you are in the birth order, and when you what you know what year you were born, and what you, what you were exposed to as you were growing up in whatever town you grew up in, and your parents, and all of those sorts of things of made you a very unique person and so you can if, if if you gave us both the same task if you gave us if you said i'll go out to that waterfall and look at it and then come in and make it work the two mm. works would make it be completely different and i know that that's such a simple thing to say but 
as an audience member, I want to know what you're making. Like, I want to know what is interesting to you in that waterfall. So, yes, we're having it synthesized by someone. Mm. But I'm interested in that. I'm interested as a person, as an audience member, to go along and go, you know. I mean, the, I don't know if you know Nicola Gunn, but, like, the way that she tackles things is very... It's very crazy and neurotic and insane, you know. But but people love that. They love they love the the energy of that and the and the, the humor of that and how how much she thinks about things and how how deeply she thinks about things. And you want to see that and you want to know that because her experience of trying to stop a guy throwing a rock at a duck is is you know is is going to be hilarious. Whereas, you know, someone else is incredibly serious and thoughtful about it, you know, might do like an, an, a 90-minute piece that's just like this slow-moving duck moving across stage with this massive... You know, like, it, it could be completely different. Mm-hmm. So, for me, yes, I totally agree. Like, just go and have the experience. Just go to the waterfall. <laughs> just go to the waterfall, you know. But at the same time, I think humans are interesting and we're as much... We're as much looking at the waterfall as when we see it work as we are looking at the person who is looking at the waterfall. Mm. Oh, that's deep, isn't it? That's good. That's really deep. It's good. Keep that, that in. Keep cooked, that in. You've cooked a meal for somebody and you both <laughs> sit down together and you're both going to eat the same meal, but you're watching their first bite. Yes, very much so. Because you know so. what the meal tastes like, but you don't know what it tastes like to them. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And you just hope that they don't go, oh, <laughs> yuck. What is your biggest hope? My biggest hope? Yeah, because this is like, for... there's a lot of effort to put into all these, to synthesizing shit for other people. <laughs> My biggest hope as an artist or as a person? Hmm. I don't mind. We can go one and the other. Let's start with, Let's start with the effort that you put into the day. Like why? Why, why put an effort into Yeah, why synthesize shit for, for other people? Why have to deal with things? Why consider the geopolitical framework of the Asia Pacific? <laughs> because you don't live there, but somehow you're interested in it. But, but we, do, we do, I mean, that's the point. Like we do live here. Um, Although sometimes it doesn't feel like it, we are inherently engaged in that place. And this is the time we're living in. Like, we're not living during the time of the Russian Revolution or during the Second World War. We're living in a period where the pivot to Asia has, has, has happened. Like, this is the centre of the world now and we're right in the same time zone. Um, so this is the period when I'm making work so I want to be engaged in that and for me I think um, you know I think a lot of artists are trying to work out work out why they make art in a way it's a stupid process a fucking stupid therapy (laughs) dumb process but equally so like why not be engaged deeply in thinking about something? Like, what are we here for otherwise? We're just here to slap another Instagram post up or retweet something. You know, we, we need to, I, I want to think deeply about things and I want to be part of a solution that helps democracy come to China. Or, you know, I remember um, David Pledger from NYD um, gave, gave a talk, this may be 
10 years ago, maybe five years ago. And he was saying, when John Howard got elected, I made it part of the company, uh, part of the company ethos that we were going to bring about John Howard's downfall. Like that, that was the thing that was in, you know, emboldening him. And so he made work to try and bring, and it's like, why not? Like, why not have a massive sort of, um, almost unreasonable <laughs> yeah. plan and, mm. and try and try and action that, you know? Um, so for me, it's continuing to go, you know, how can we better be better global citizens? How can we be engaged in the Asia Pacific and not, not be part of a colonial structure that thinks we're better than China or better than Japan or, you know, how can we, how can we truly engage in this region? How can I as a citizen enable that to happen? Um, just some small things. <laughs> just, just a couple of small things. Uh-huh. Just like Van Gogh's garden. Just have a garden, just paint some colours. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're just so, I mean, you know, in his day, it's like something could have been happening in another country and he wouldn't have known about it. But we, like something happens over here and you know about it instantly. You are absolutely connected to everything that's going on. And all, even though you, everyone feels disenfranchised and they're not part of, you know, how do you make a difference, I think is a really difficult thing in our day and age where there's so many people and democratic structures no longer work. You know, like democracy came from a place in, in Greece where there was you know, 20 guys in a village and they'd go to the central hall. And guys, just guys, not, not women. They'd go to a central hall and they'd stand around and they'd argue about something and then they'd vote on it. And that, that and that's great. What a great democratic structure, apart from not having women in the process. <laughs> but when you've got, you know, in our country, 24 million people, in America, 320 or 40 million people, how can democracy actually serve the people in that sort of structure? And that that's what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. How can we make a difference as people who are, um, you know, cultural theorists or people that synthesise um, large processes into, into works to try and enable change? How can we make change, I think, is a really interesting question in our day and age. Boom. Just dropping truth bombs left, right and centre. Have you have you worked out any truth problems about how we can make change? No, but I mean that's a, that's a life's work, I think, and I think that's you know I mean the the election of Trump is like and Brexit are classic examples of people going we have no power we have we are completely disenfranchised by this process yeah. we are going to vote in whatever clown comes along and says some things that we're interested in or we're going to vote ourselves out of the EU which is a ridiculous decision like yeah. but they feel powerless you know they feel powerless and so this is what we this is the time we're living in and this the the rise of one nation is only going to get bigger if people don't really listen to what's happening and really get engaged in what's happening or we have a new form of democracy and I don't know, I don't know what that is but you know that's 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 what that's what fires me I think each day mm. That's not about hope. <laughs> to go back to your initial question, there's no hope there. <laughs> it's, it's, it feels like actually empowerment must come to all, even the ones that we assume already have power mm. and agency, even the um, wealthy, educated, healthy white men. Yes. Need to somehow 
take their empowerment from others' empowerment, not a threat from others' empowerment. Well, we really don't need others in the first place. They should, they need, they, we don't need the, a concept of otherness, really. But that's how I felt about Trump and about Brexit, is that there was... Uh, I could, the, the empowerment of minorities and the pivot to non-white uh, power structures is can be a move towards egalitarianism but if it's not done in such a careful way it's going to frighten the establishment into uh what's the word um (laughs) fear but yeah yeah um, reactionary yeah holding on i mean the the pivot to asia is not perfect either because you know china has 1.2 1.1 billion people and there's no democracy in that country. So it's not, you know, it's not all perfect. Like, there are some good things about Western liberal democracies, absolutely. Yeah, like female vote. Yeah, it's, quite it's nice pretty thing. good, yeah. Men getting to vote that don't own land. Yeah. That was only, that was in Australia's time. Mm. 100 years ago, a bit more. But I think, I think, the, thing, I think the thing that I'm... That, that fills me with some hope is that some people that I know who are artists, um, uh, you know, there's a colleague of mine, Ian Pidd, who, you know, is is in his early 50s and has been working since he was 18, 19 and came out of, you know, university as, a, as an actor and he's, you know, works as a director on theatre shows and festivals and... And has an incredible time, and and is also just a fantastic human. And every single person, whether it's an artist or a community member that he engages with, he just he brings he brings his whole self to it. And it's there's something um, so wonderful about that. And I think we underestimate as artists and cultural thinkers and makers um, that you know as we go into the world and meet people that people go, oh yeah that's the way you can live your life you know you can live your life in a way that's like um doesn't have to conform to a nine to five doesn't have you know you don't have to be part of a corporate power structure in order to have a have a life and a family and do all of those sorts of things and and there's there's real great there's 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 great benefit in that as well i think i think that that is that is powerful it it's very hard to quantify but it does it does have power i think Mm. It's a bit Gandhi of you <laughs> to be the change that you want to see. Well, exactly. No, exactly, exactly. It's like it's like a t-shirt or a, a friggin' <laughs> bumper sticker or something. But but it it you know you've got to believe that because I mean surely you in your life like you you engage with people all across the country in lots of different contexts mm-hmm. probably a bunch of community contexts as well and like just by being who you are you you are making change and you don't even realize you're doing it but you are having a ripple effect and it might be small compared to what's happening with trump like you you know it is small but but you have to believe that these small movements like you know like the farmer's market we went to today or 
composting or you know like we have recycling in every in every council in australia now like just things like that some of them are ceremonially (laughs) darwin doesn't have a recycling center it gets shipped oh good Good. so it's useless but it makes people feel good yeah um i think it's that that they're like there's so many problems with where Australia has come from, but one of the things that I don't think is a problem is the idea that it, it stops with me, that responsibility that you have to take when you're in a small community and that was forced, like responsibility for machinery is forced upon men and for the cooking is forced upon the women or whatever. So it's not socially perfect either, mm. but the idea that something stops at you and you take responsibility for then how you move forward and progress from that. Um, is maybe all I'm doing is saying like okay uh, but that comes actually that liberation comes from dance training from performance training and knowing that I'm sweating or panting or dying or (laughs) injured but there is something that needs to be achieved here and can I survive long enough to achieve that thing for this other person and then deal with what I need to deal with later or can I prepare myself for that interaction so that I am the best version of what needs to be at that interaction Mm. and that is also in line with self betterment um, phase that's going on with yoga and nutrition or whatever Um, mindfulness mindfulness holy shit it's massive it's It's an industry yeah Uh, unfortunately it's an industry but I feel like the the greatest gift of um, whether I continue being an artist or not is the mindfulness that you, when you work with teams of people, there has to be a mindfulness and an awareness if you are to continue to work with teams of people because I see it and I hope that it continues that um, the old... Uh, praising and carrying in fear of the violent creative genius is losing traction because mm. I think we're, we're really dealing with how as well as what mm. is produced mm. and I mean we're being raised told that all our dreams can come true and shit so we don't want to work <laughs> under an asshole anymore <laughs> um, any last epiphanies you want to finish on right? No, I've had I've had too many too many epiphanies. I don't need to I don't need to drop anymore. It's, it's huge. Did you ask you three questions? You yeah. snuck them in there. Oh, what? Done, mate. How? Why? Oh, jeez. I didn't even notice. Just with the flow, you know. It's incredible. <laughs> I'll seduce you. Thank you. Thanks, mate.